0: The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective.
1: Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from TASCAM, including the TASCAM Mini Studio. Trust your audio to TASCAM Sound Thinking.
2: Give the interruption, but I believe this requires
0: your attention. Meanwhile, at the above ground underwater suborbital
2: volcano lair, Sergeant, we need a response team. We're already to putting together the best men. With all due respect, sir, so am I. I have
1: a plan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's real! Mighty Marvel Geeks.
1: That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're... We're a time bomb.
0: Well then, son, you've got a condition. Your show about all things Marvel with Mike, Kylan, and Eric. What
2: a bunch of losers. I am Gru.
1: That I did know.
2: These people may be isolated, unbalanced even, but I believe with the right push... Be exactly what you need. I'm Suda. I'm bringing the party to you. I have indeed been uploaded, gentlemen, online and ready. And welcome to another issue of Mighty Marvel Geeks. It is the Intrepid Trio, Kylan, Eric, and myself Mike. And we are lucky to be joined um by a one of the top writers in Marvel, uh, currently writing Captain Marvel, Deadpool, and Black Widow, or people, or as people in the South will say, Black Widow, uh, <laughs> is Kelly Thompson. How's everyone doing?
1: Hi. Thanks for having me. It's
2: our pleasure. So, what can you tell us about Black Widow, Deadpool, and Captain Marvel that's coming up that we know about, solicit-wise?
1: Sure. Um, Captain Marvel is pretty easy because we ended in a great spot where we just wrapped up the end of that last avenger arc with issue 16 so issue 17 which i'm not sure when you guys are going to see is just a standalone like a game night episode um it's uh carol and logan and monica rambo spider woman kamala khan hazmat supposedly playing poker but then that goes very awry so it's like a really fun a really fun sort of done in one after the events of the last avenger which were like so intense and action heavy um and then we are supposed to roll right into empire for our sort of empire tie-in for the big crossover so we've got four issues of that i'm not sure what that schedule is going to look like obviously they've had to rejigger all those books a little bit so we were supposed to be double shipping in may and maybe june so i'm not sure how those will quite shake out but that's what we've got coming up after that is something really exciting that i can't talk about it's (laughs) 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 It's just not it's just not far enough along yet and also because of the change in the schedule i mean it could be months before it comes out so you know it's too far out to talk about but lee jarve will be coming back he did our last avenger art uh and so that's really exciting um i think people are going to love what we've got in store um deadpool we actually only got through the first four issues before the covid stuff came in and sort of Wrecked havoc on the schedules so but that was our first arc so that was with Chris Pacello and really having a good time sort of telling a story about Deadpool as King of the Monsters and you know him sort of trying to be a different kind of guy who can be a leader of a people even though that's not really what he wanted and also really bringing into stark contrast for him like questions about is he a monster too and who makes those rules who decides that is it bad to be a monster like all these sort of existential questions among all the punching and jokes um and uh So then Black Widow has not gotten to come out yet, and that will probably be pushed to the fall to coincide with the movie. So that's sort of crazy. Um, That one is the hardest to talk about because it's a, we're doing something a little different with Black Widow in this book. So like the first half of that first issue really feels like a sort of classic Black Widow story. And then it takes like a hard left and it's something very different. So it's been sort of hard to talk about that one and tease it without spoiling anything. So, but I'm really excited about it. That's got Elena Casagrande on the art. She's, really killing it. Jordy Belair on colors going to look t- terrific. And uh, then I also have Star is the miniseries I was doing, which sort of spun out of Captain Marvel. And it looks like those last two issues are going to come out digitally instead of in print, which I know people have some feelings about. I get it. I have some feelings about it too, but you know, we're we're not in ideal time. So you got to do what you got to do. I'm just really glad it's going to come out because I'm surprisingly proud of this miniseries that I sort of never imagined I was going to be writing and they sort of sprung it on me, but I really am up loving sort of delving into this villainous character like I feel like we don't get enough of those stories so it was a good time. Excellent, Javier Pina and uh, Philippe Andrade on art. Really incredible stuff.
2: Well, maybe we can make a push to try and get those last two issues out in a physical format so people could, I don't know about others, I would be one of those purists. Like, if they're all four out digital, I want all four copies physical as well.
1: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think for some people, I mean, maybe it'll come out, the the last two issues, four and five, maybe they'll make it. Um, They'll certainly print them as a trade, so if you want to... Just stop and then pick it up later. You could do that. I mean, listen, I get it. Like, especially collectors, we're very finicky about how we want things done, and I understand it's not ideal. But you know, I would just say, look around at the world. Nothing about this is ideal.
2: (laughs) True. This is true.
0: I I would much rather have a digital version than no version at all.
1: Absolutely. That's how I'm choosing to look at it too.
2: I mean, yes. On May fourth, I did pick up Doctor Afra digital version, but it's going to be in my pull box too when it comes out in a couple weeks. So. I'll be, I'm one of those, I'm going to pick up the actual copy as well.
1: Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, listen, I I think as collectors and fans, we we do a lot of not financially savvy things for the love of the medium. I know okay. I've got a whole lot of those examples in my house. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had so many wonderful people when I did Jessica Jones, you know, Jessica Jones was such a weird book because when, when I first got brought on, they were they were talking about whether they wanted to try this digital first program or they wanted to do print. And so we were just we just got started and they were still saying, you know, write it like it's going to be print. We don't know. And then they did decide to do digital only. And they gave us a pretty great initial push and we did really well but you know then it did what digital books do it's still pretty early for them and so they just sort of fall off people's radar like reviewers forget they're out there to be reviewed nobody's really talking about it it's just hard to remind people that it's there and um, so but then so we did so then that got collected as a print trade and then we had a second volume which was Jessica Jones Purple Daughter that was digital only with a print trade but then this year they decided they wanted to print those that first um a story is called blind spot and so they did it in floppies and i'm telling you fans came out of the woodwork to tell me that they bought it digitally they bought the trade and now they were buying the floppies and it was like i mean that's not a very sustainable model but man it, it was a real testament to the way comic book fans are and like how passionate they are about the stuff they love and it was really it was really nice to see
2: well i will say looking back at your history with marvel i definitely have been a collector of some of your books and we'll get into these a little later um but the captain phasma mini star wars annual number two and west coast avengers
1: (laughs) those are some you really liked Uh,
2: those are the ones that i collect i I was collecting
1: burned in your shed in the backyard
2: (laughs) yeah um And, and it's funny. I kind of I kind of stopped picking up uh, West Coast after number ten, uh, and, and was more of a financial but, decision. Not realizing as well that well maybe it was just eleven didn't catch my appeal because
1: they canceled it. You got the last one. The, the, they they okay. only went to ten. Yeah, we only went to ten. Okay. And and as much as I love West Coast Avengers, I mean, I definitely you know there's a thing that happens where you know no disrespect to my artists on um, eight, nine, and ten. I think I have that right eight nine and ten but like there are two different artists on eight nine and ten you know they didn't get the sort of time that you hope you're going to get to get used to these characters and this format and everything they did their best under tough circumstances but I don't think that those last three issues are the same quality of the first seven as far as what we were trying to do in concept and theme with character um, and I think that a lot of that was because we found out it was ending you know I was I think I was writing like issue seven and so you know it's falling apart so you're just trying to you're just trying to end it as strong as you can and you really you lose a lot of that control once you're canceled like you can only do so much it was a heartbreaker though because west coast was one of my favorite things i had done i think that first issue was one of the best things i've written for marvel certainly my best first issue just really knew what it was from go you know
2: west coast adventures does not get a lot of love it didn't in the 80s either (laughs)
1: Right. I, I think that was what was so funny to me about some of the blowback of people being mad that it wasn't the 80s version that they wanted to see, because I was like, that 80s version wasn't respected either. And so you're right. sort of doing to it the same, you're doing to our new book the same thing that was done to that book. Like, can you just give it a chance? And like, it's a bunch of weird characters sort of assembled together on the West Coast. It's the spirit of the other thing. Clint Barton's there. Like, you know, come on, that, man. That was, that, was was the,
2: that was the one common thread between the two is you've got Clint on both sides you know, yeah. back in the 80s he was pretty much the head of the group and he, he was the head of the group here um, I was really pulling for it but I, I did I, after 10 I, I was about ready to just say that's it uh, not realizing and I, and I just told him uh, I said when 10 comes out let's just because I hadn't heard it, w- it was yeah. canceled. Um, but I knew, I'm like, I, I think I'm okay through 10. It gives me two good story arcs. Um, but I, I had heard some rumblings that the writer was going to change. And I to be honest with you, I didn't pay attention that it was you writing it. But I should have known <laughs> because I love your writing. I, I I love what you've been doing. So how did you go from um, taking over for Kelly Sue DeConnick for Captain Marvel?
1: Well, that's not exactly how it happened. Okay. So I got my first work at, at Marvel was uh, co-writing with Kelly Sue, uh, Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps. That was during the Secret Wars stuff. So I co-wrote that four issues with her. And then she went on to wrap up her Captain Marvel run right after that. But I mean, I was just a baby at Marvel at that point. So nobody was going to give me a Captain Marvel yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was working on a Thunderbolts thing that never took off. I was working, I pitched for that Hellcat book that that Kate Leth ended up doing. I was, uh, and then I got handed eight. Force because G. Willow Wilson had some uh, some personal family stuff going on. And so they brought me in to take that over from her with issue two. And so that became like the big thing I was doing. Um, I was still doing Gem and the Holograms, at IDW and stuff like that. And I was developing my Hawkeye book, but it was, you know, a ways from coming out. And um, so it wasn't until... Right before the movie in 2019, 2018, I don't know what year it is, um, but when the Captain Marvel movie came out, that's when I finally got my shot. Because um, they had Margaret Stohl on Captain Marvel, and they had um, the the writers, I forget their name from the uh, from the Agent Carter series. They wrote a couple runs. You know, Carol's been through a lot of different iterations. Um, some of them better than others. Uh, I think we really landed on something that worked for her, though. People really seem to be responding to it, which is exciting.
2: So in many ways you you kind of had a, a Dave Filoni moment then uh, from Star Wars with Kelly Sue kind of mentoring you and guiding you through how Carol should be. For
1: sure, for sure. Done. She was invaluable. Uh, and I think for the modern Carol, you have to look at her stuff. She really redefined her, um, you know, and not just with a great new costume, you know.
2: <laughs> costume that was inspired for the movie.
1: Yes, for sure.
3: Uh, so, uh, so how did you get Kate Bishop?
1: So before I was even in Marvel in any way when I was like still trying to like for example if you want to pitch to Marvel there's a form you have to sign that like gives away all your rights and you're like well I guess I'm going in (laughs) you sign it and you hope for the best you know but um so I was still trying to get that document signed so that I could even pitch to them and I was working on a pitch called Hawkeye Investigations which was a spiritual successor of Kate Bishop coming out of the fraction stuff which is a terrible idea by the way like why take one of the greatest modern comics of all time i'd be like yeah i'm nobody i can definitely spin out of that um so that was the pitch i was working on when i finally got them to let me send it to them they sort of liked it and it got passed around a little bit and then I'm not sure about the timeline but I think it was a couple months later Jem started coming out and I got the call to do the Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps and that was with editor Sana Amanat and so she had the Hawkeye pit and so we were focused on what we were doing but we would talk about it occasionally like did she think it was something we could do was she interested and she was definitely interested but she just thought we needed the right timing for it and so we sort of slowly developed it and sat on it a little bit. And then eventually, eventually we got to go out and they were calling it Hawkeye, which I was really excited about, but also I knew that was going to doom us. So... You know, it's, uh, there've been a lot of blowback. It was just sort of reaching a fevered pitch at that time about like other characters taking over a more legacy role or the, the original character stuff. Like a lot of those things sort of seemed to happen at the same time, which got people sort of upset. So I knew we would be in trouble for calling it Hawkeye, but you got to want that for Kate. You got to want to let her run the Hawkeye book sometimes, you know, there's room for everyone.
2: Well, since, since you've talked about Doom, being doomed and Jim and the Hog, how was it It, i know it's jim and holograms is not a marvel title now it was back in the 80s under epic um but that's
1: right that's right i forgot about that
2: how did the movie or (laughs) quote-unquote lack in the movie (laughs) since it only lasted two weeks in the theater um how did that affect you and your team with the comics
1: I think not at all except for to say if it had been a huge hit it probably would have been good for us because it would have you know there's you know we never we never see the numbers that we'd love to see as comic book fans that that people coming over from TV and movies like we'd love it if those numbers were huge they're never as big as you want to be but certainly if the movie had done well we would have seen a little bit of that and a, and a better resurgence and more of Hasbro pushing forward with that brand and like investing more money in it and so that might might have helped. But I mean, honestly, for a cult 80s property, we got 20, 26 issues plus two annuals Plus a spin off Misfits miniseries, plus a small six issue crossover between the two books. Like, that's more than I ever dreamed we would get for that property. So I don't know that it hurt us that much, that it, the, the movie wasn't a big success. The good news was, at no time did anyone try to tie us to the movie. They didn't mm-hmm. say, do it like this, or here's the script, or like, we didn't even know anything about it. And I mean, the best thing I can say about the movie is, like, I think there was a lot of love for it and a lot of good intention that just did not work out. It just doesn't come together as anyone who's seen it knows. It's not not good. <laughs>
2: my, my wife and daughter watched it over the weekend. <laughs> and mind you, I'm an audio engineer at Walt Disney World. I've been in the entertainment business um, 34 years. And she goes, I don't understand why it went to the theaters where the dialogue is so soft and the music is so loud. I'm like, well, what's sad is it's probably why it got pulled from the theaters after two weeks. And yet when it was released on DVD and Blu ray, they never remastered it to fix it for a home release. They just left it as oh, no. is. That's terrible. So um, I think the movie was doomed from the get go. I,
3: I didn't know that there was a Misfits spin-off uh, uh, spin-off miniseries.
1: Yes, it's really oh. fun. It's really fun. I think I love what we did with Jem, especially the early stuff with Sophie Campbell and everything. But the Misfits spin-off is way like deeper and darker because it's about the villains and it's like how they see each other. And there's a, if you like West Coast Avengers, Misfits also has like a confessional angle where there'd be like, interviewed for a documentary and it's really fun (laughs) and it's uh jen st ange doing the art and you know she's incredible uh, she gets better every time I look at her work, but her Misfits stuff looks awesome. If you guys like Jem, you should totally check it out because I think it's sort of the darker, weirder, m- more fun version in a way, like where you're able to cut loose a little bit with those characters. Because, you know, Gem and the Holograms, I love them, but they're super good guys. And the Misfits are more chaotic. It's right. fun. I'm going
2: to have <laughs> yeah. to go back and get them, get also, the trays for my daughter.
1: <laughs> also, their songs are better, which, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't invent that, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so how how did Marvel bring you on for what may become hopefully one of the big properties of this year especially with the movie coming out Black Widow
1: I've been itching to get my hands on Black Widow for a while at Marvel and I think some people knew that. Um, I tried to get her, um, I want to say it was 27, fall of 2017. I sent a pitch to um, Jake Thomas, who's actually my Deadpool editor now. And it was just like, no, the timing is bad. And then they did a couple mini series in the, in, the, in the run between me pitching that and this happening now. And you know i felt a little bit away about those like no I, I wanted to do my thing as if i just get to do whatever i want no and um the uh but i'm really glad that they sort of went out there and kept telling like cool nat stories cuz she deserves to have those but i do hope what we're going to see is with my book and with the movie is a real sort of different side of black widow that we don't get to see i mean the thing i keep saying in the quote is there won't be any more Red Room stories in my run? Like I'm mm-hmm. done with I'm done with it. We uh, it's not bad. It's the Red Room is amazing. We've seen right. fifty million Red Room stories. I'm over it. Like there's so many more layers to Natasha, and that's not to say that some of the characters from her Red Room past won't show up. When there won't be, you know, things. Even in our first arc, we have some ties to that stuff. But I think we're subverting it and twisting it in a way that you end up getting a different story that you sort of haven't seen before for for Nat. Um, in in our book. And at the end of our first arc, um, it's sort of, that's telling, I hope, a really emotional, like sort of heart-wrenching story for her. And then at the end of that, assuming we do well, it sets her up to sort of go in a really new direction that I'm really excited about that I hope people will buy in for. We'll see.
2: And then Deadpool to kind of be given that, um, seeing the cover of the first issue that Conan, the barbarian type vibe to him (laughs) as King as King. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, that was amazing. I mean, I really wanted Deadpool. I wanted it even before Scotty got it. But then I'm like, oh, crap, I don't want to follow Scotty. So that was rough. But um, he, uh, you know, everyone wants Deadpool. He's great. He's incredibly bendy as a character. You could do almost anything with him. By the same token, that's what makes him tough. Everyone's done everything under the sun with Deadpool. So you really got to have something stronger than a few jokes and violence in your pocket, you know, to make it work as a book that, that's that got some legs. Um, I think we've got that. I worry that current events in the world are sort of through a wrench in what we were trying to do a little bit. And I hope we won't lose momentum, but we'll see. We'll see what happens.
2: Think about it this way, though. Scotty had to follow Colin Bunn.
1: And Jerry's unprecedented long, long run. How many issues? Crazy.
2: And with both of them doing s- different stories at the same time, you know, with with all the minis that Colin was doing, yeah, um, we I guess we're lucky Scotty came out the way he did.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think um, you know that's it's just really one of the tricks with Wade because he's in everything and he's done everything, and so it's really hard to find great material for him that fifty people haven't already done better than you, you know. But I will say that having had that many creators take a stab at his voice does give you a little bit of freedom as to where you find that sweet spot. I mean, everyone's Deadpool sweet spot is a little different, you know.
2: Can, can we potentially see Wade Wilson go Valley Girl?
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, maybe for a minute, but it's not going to last. <laughs> Our issue sticks is uh, uh, Deadpool breaking into Krakoa because he's pissed at them for being, I think he calls them, um, I don't know, entitled snobs and a lot of other things. He's very angry about not having a gate, a Krakoa gate on his island and like sort of, he feels like he's sort of an X-Men and a friend and like they never even invited him over. So he breaks in in a sort of creative way and wrecks a bunch of havoc and I love it. It's it's maybe my favorite issue we've done yet. Kevin LeBron drew it and there's also, I don't know, some. Of you might know Jeff the Land Shark. Some of you don't, but uh, Kevin Lebranda j- draws just the cutest Jeff the Land Shark. It's amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, you you're of course known and rightfully so as being a fantastic writer. Uh, I see that you graduated from the Savannah College of Art and Design with a degree in sequential art, though. I did. Uh, do you do you do you still do the art or? Uh, do you miss the art at all? Or uh, do you think that the uh, th- that having the sequential art in your head as you write gives you an advantage?
1: So just to be clear, a sequential art program at SCAD includes writing, and that's part of it, too. Um, I learned very quickly that, you know, when you're standing next to so many people who are so good, you, you can do the math pretty quick <laughs> about how long, how many hours it's going to take you to get even close to as good as those people are. And the writing was always what I was better at and more interested in. And so I sort of shifted my focus. But I mean, I still took all my classes. I still graduated. I still drew a million stupid comics. You know, they just weren't that good. I do miss art. I draw a little bit here and there. I've I've, I've had some really fun luck selling sketch covers that I draw on, on some of my books, which people really seem to love. So I found little ways to put it into my world, but I'm very out of practice and I'm very overworked when it comes to my writing schedule. So it doesn't leave a lot of room for other stuff. Um, the other answer is that, yes, I think it totally helps me. I think it's a very, you know, when I first first started writing comics even if I wasn't going to draw them, I would still thumbnail them because it helped me with pacing and it helped me to understand the blocking. But I did have to let go of that really quickly because I would get too locked in to how I thought it should look. And then you're collaborating with someone and A, you want them to be able to bring themselves to it. And B, 99.9% of the time, what they wanted to do was better than what I was going to do because they're artists. And so there was a learning curve for me of figuring out how to get out of my own way to make a better comic. But it's still super invaluable what I learned, how to pace things, the way I see it visually, knowing how much I can put on a page and what's going to overwhelm all that stuff. I also flatter myself a little bit that I've had some really wonderful, talented um, artists say that they like my scripts and that I write like an artist. And um, I swear that's a compliment I'll just carry with me forever because it's a really wonderful thing to hear. Because what's better than writing scripts that artists want to draw? Like that's worth gold, you know, So. I feel really happy about that.
2: Yeah, you, you're, you also write novels, um, and I can't wait for you to tackle uh, some Marvel young adult novels or Marvel novels that I, I have seen based on you know, various characters. How is it different being a writer and being an author?
1: I've had a really hard time going back to prose after my comic schedule. I mean, some of that is just the practicality of my schedule is really overloaded. I have a lot of books on my plate um more than is probably reasonable <laughs> um but you know in the time that I've been writing comics i've also written a couple of pilots i've written a couple of screenplays and i've found that that is much easier to transition back to than prose because you're still describing an action you're still primarily focused on dialogue you know you're you're a comic is more immediate in that you're immediately seeing how someone's going to in interpret those words and then you're getting to go back in and fix them and a uh, a pilot or a screenplay is more like a blueprint for something someone's going to do someday. You hope um, so. It, there, there are these differences, but they fit a lot more organically together than prose. Which it's shocking to try to go back to prose and be like, "What do you mean I have to describe all of this? <laughs> like, when is the artist coming in to do the heavy lifting so I can just write some jokes and you know, pace it on?" So I've had a really hard time with it, and it's uh, story killer was my last Kickstarter, and I had a. Every intention. I still have the intention of of writing the second volume, but I just, I'm just shook by how hard it is to go back and how I can't find the time. And it's been tough. I mean, it's a good problem to have, but it's not when I, it's not when I expected, you know, I just thought, oh, I know how to write books. I know how to write comics. It's fine. And then I was like, wait a minute, what? No,
0: <laughs> it's hard. You talked about wanting to get hold of Black Widow and and uh, and Deadpool. Uh, are there any other comic characters out there floating around in Marvel that, uh, in the back of your mind, is kind of like? I'm going to write for that person. <laughs> fingers uh, crossed. Fingers are, crossed. It will mine. Oh, yes. Will fingers
1: crossed. The, fingers crossed. For characters we're talking about. Uh, yeah. I, I've got a lot of X-Men on that list. Um, obviously the X-Men are pretty spoken for right now. They are going through a very sort of exciting and weird, very specific time. So I have to put those on the bench for more someday. Maybe. Um, I, I would, I would maybe give a limb to write, um, next wave. Um, Um, But also, why would anyone try to follow up a perfect volume of comics? I don't know. So maybe that's a fool's errand. Um, I don't know. I love the Avengers. I'd love to write some Avengers. I, I always trick myself into thinking I want Thor, but I like the sort of fish out of water Thor, like that's sort of comedic. And I don't really know that that's right for a Thor book. Also, I hate writing Thor speak. I'm terrible about it. I trick myself into it all the time thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to just be fun. And then I come to it and it's like a dead stop in your writing process. And you're like, wait, how does he say it? What does it sound like? I forget again. So uh, I've been very lucky when I've written him a few times. I've had um, I've had Will Moss, who is a Thor editor. And, you know, he knows that stuff like the back of his hand. So I'm like, well, I'm going to need a Thor check here on these uh, these dialogue tags I've written. I don't know, man. Um, I don't know. I had a really good time writing. I haven't ever really thought Captain America was a good fit for me, but I had a really good time writing him in Captain Marvel. So that made me think maybe there was something more there. Um, I have to say the big one, and this is boring because it's everyone's answer is Spider-Man. We all want Spider-Man.
2: I got to say thank you for playing. Um, those were those were good answers, but not the right answer.
1: <laughs> What's the right answer?
2: Howard the Duck. Oh, <laughs> no, how, can
1: anyone, how can anyone do that after Chip already did it so well? I know. I don't know if I can follow that up.
2: I know. And, and Chip was robbed. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Chip gets robbed a lot. Gets too talented for words. Crazy. It,
0: it's funny though. You mentioned Spider Man. You say you know what? Well, everybody's done Spider Man. Well, it's kind of like he kind of reminds me of how you describe Deadpool. I mean, he just he, everybody gets to have a voice. Yeah. On and yeah, there there are parts of him that's uh, Eric froze. Always gonna stay froze. You froze. Yeah. So try, try your question again. I thought <laughs> out. Okay. Uh, where did I get to? I wasn't paying attention.
1: You started to. Say that uh, everybody had a voice on Spider-Man. Uh, okay,
0: yeah. All right, so yeah, I mean, everybody gets to have their take, their voice on Spider-Man. There are parts of him that's always going to remain the same, sure. But for lack of a better word, there is some wiggle room in. It.
1: Yeah, but I think that's so true. I, I think that's true of most characters, though, because they've had so many writers over the years. Like, I mean, my take is always to come in and look at the character and be like, "What's the thing? How can I make sure that readers recognize?" this voice and feel it's authentic. But what can I add to that? That's something that not everyone else can necessarily do that can bring something to this character, to what they're going through or how they sound or, you know, what that is. So that's always my approach. Sometimes I'm more successful than others, but that's always how I approach it. I I think the Deadpool comparison makes sense to me, but when I think of if I could write Spider-Man and if I'd be good at it, I actually think more about Kate Bishop. There's a very sort of brightness in those characters a sort of never get up make a dumb joke I don't care I'm just here to entertain myself on some level like that like that sort of vibe it's got a very sort of Peter Parker I think Peter's a little darker he's got more responsibility weighing on on him and stuff Kate's a bit lighter of a character but there are a lot of similarities I thought of Spider-Man a lot when we were writing the Hawkeye book when we were creating the Hawkeye book when I was writing it
3: well okay so I was thinking about what you did with Mr. and Mrs. X um not asking that if you would consider doing the same, uh, doing the same thing, but would you consider doing, I guess, more like a relationship driven dynamic between uh, Black Widow and Daredevil again?
1: Maybe. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I know Chip's got a lot of plans that aren't going to make that possible, but I do like that. Um, I like, you know, Black Widow's been paired up with a lot of, of interesting uh, heroes over the years. Mm-hmm. And it's it makes it a little hard as a writer because every fan has their diehard Black Widowship and like they will not suffer uh anything but what they want, you know? And it's a little hard because I, I sort of see the I sort of see the, the greatness in a lot of those pairings. I think the Daredevil one is really interesting because he's a little it's a little darker, it's a little bit better of a fit, but he's still on like a very heroic path and then the Bucky one is great because it's really dark right and then Clint is great because it's so light like it's all these different sort of aspects of Natasha that she's like attaching to these men who like bring out certain aspects of her that are sort of not her whole which I find Mm -hmm. very interesting Um, but I would love to sort of do a deep dive on I don't know if it would be Black Widow and Daredevil but maybe Black Widow's past and like how she does that where she pairs off with these people that are speak to very specific parts of herself, you know?
3: Huh? I, I mean, I thought that I, I've 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 been a huge fan of Black Widow for a long time, and so you know, seeing her like I well, I'm a huge Daredevil fan, so I love that dynamic. But I've also enjoyed seeing how see what uh, her relationships with other characters, what that brings brings out in her, mm-hmm. uh, and to a certain degree, her effect on those other characters. Because as much of a jerk and as dysfunctional as Matt Murdock can be when she's in his life, she almost centers him a
1: little bit. I agree. I agree. Don't you think the biggest problem, though, with trying to to do, like, if you want to talk about, like, the rogue and gambit treatment, right? right. The biggest problem trying to do that with Black Widow and Matt, to me, is Elektra. Because, you know, we can talk all day long about Black Widow being a great pair for him and that being a fascinating relationship, and it is. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, isn't Daredevil's rogue uh, Electra not Nat <laughs> you, you know yeah uh, you know, and see the thing is i think that that's what would make it
3: even more interesting because like as unhealthy i i know that as unhealthy as electra is for him you know he he has that draw to her and even if he was with electra the minute net comes in the picture he's like uh you know <laughs> yeah. i don't know
1: I, I just think that would just be some i mean listen um, it makes for great conflict yeah no it makes for great conflict which is always what you're looking for as a writer so i don't know maybe if maybe if chip one day shakes daredevil off and leaves room for the rest of us then maybe maybe i get to try it
3: (laughs) uh, so maybe not so much uh mr and mrs x may kind of but not exactly
2: (laughs) (laughs) so um (laughs) jessica jones you you brought her back uh yes what was it like bringing her back after the success of the netflix series
1: well so you know brian was doing that jessica jones book and it was awesome and like as a super fan of jessica jones and of brian michael bendis i was reading that i was watching the show i was in heaven and then he he dm'd me asking if he could call me and i was like yes (laughs) because when brian michael bendis wants to call you you Say yes. And so, yeah, so he called me and he told me that he was gonna have to be stepping away from the book and that he had sort of handpicked me and did I want to do it. And I of course said yes. I was so excited. I was also terrified because I mean it's one of my favorite characters, one of my favorite writers, and it's very big shoes to fill. Um, but you know, it's also yeah, I mean, it was really it was really tough, and he just told or or I ended up getting sent the rest of his story he was telling, and he ended it like really Really beautifully. And so I was like, great, Brian, thanks a lot. Way to leave way to leave something <laughs> dangling for someone to pick up on here instead of tying it all up in a nice little bow. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just tried to dig into what did I want to say with Jessica? What did I think was sort of relevant for her? Like the kind of stories she'd be into. I wanted to really dig deep into the detective side of it. I mean, sometimes she gets drawn more into the superhero side of things, and I like that, but I don't like it too much. What I like is her being a detective in a superhero world. That's a a lot more interesting because we're surrounded by superhero stories. So I want to see a, a slightly different take on that. Uh, We had Maria D'Illus on the art and the colors. He did this incredible neo-noir thing. It was so much fun. I loved doing those books. I still say Purple Daughter is probably the best thing I've written for Marvel so far. Um, And we have Jason Aaron to thank for some of that, because I had an idea that was very similar to Purple Daughter, but that didn't involve Danielle. And I pitched it in the room. And Jason was like, don't kill me, but I think it's even better if it's Danielle that this is happening to. And everyone in the room goes, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) it was like such a great moment and i was like oh my god i was like jason aaron you're so great and also i hate you because now i have to do this and so many people on the internet are going to yell at me before the story comes out for ruining danielle and that happened i should have just put a little thing on my twitter like please direct all your hate to the lovely jason aaron because he he (laughs) did this to danielle not me
2: (laughs) and jason aaron has not been heard from since i mean i'm sorry (laughs)
1: He's the greatest guy, and when he lands a perfect a perfect twist on your idea in your lap, you take it. And uh, it was so much more an emotional book for it. I think the original story would have been good, but it turned out so great. And we also did my, one of my favorite things in comics, which is taking a negative and turning it into a positive, which is artists can't draw as fast as we need them to, especially with the incredible detail and style that we have today. They just can't do these long arc. And so we knew for six issues, Mattia could really only do about five. And so we were going to need an alternate artist. So I baked it into the idea that in issue five, she's basically in someone else's manipulated reality, right? So we brought in the incredible Philip Andrade, and he did a really totally different style for the book, but he only did it for about 18 pages because she breaks out of the illusion partway through that issue and it switches back to Mattia's art and I love it I pitched it, to, I pitched it to my editor Alana I was like it's gonna be so great and she's like I don't know if they will gonna go for it and I was like you have to make them go for it it's gonna be so good and man when you're right you're right it was so good I was so proud of everyone for for nailing it it's really cool and I love when you can do that with comics take something that could be a problem and instead turn it into this really great story element that that enriches everything.
3: Hey that that that's a bit of genius. Uh, that's <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Seen, I mean that I mean wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think she just broke me. I'm just I'm just like I mean who I you know I never thought of Wow.
0: Congratulations Kelly you're the first guest <laughs> to a broken Kylan. I
1: I hope you'll be sending me a prize of some kind in the mail. Well it's no Eisner
0: award but <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, um, how big a surprise did the the, uh, the Eisner Award nominations come to you?
1: Pretty big. Pretty big. I mean, I was really excited the previous year when we got nominated for Hawkeye. Um, I was really excited about that. But, I mean, I'm pretty new in comics still, and I haven't done a lot of creator-owned. creator, creator owned, So I was really surprised to be up there for that writer nomination. And uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say I wanted it real, real bad. <laughs> And Tom should just step to the side, sir. We've seen enough of your amazing Batman comics and all your other stuff. We know Miracle Man, you're you're a genius. <laughs> just move along already. I love his work. Um I've I've made the joke a couple times that um his Batman, especially the the early stuff with like the date issue that he did with Batman and the double date with Batman and Selina and uh, that stuff. I mean, are those some of my favorite Batman stories I've read in just a really long time. I just loved them so much. And those are the kind of things I would have wanted to do. So, thanks a lot, Tom King, for getting there (laughs) first and and being great. Thanks a lot.
0: So, you mentioned (laughs) Tom King as being a a favorite writer of yours. Growing up, uh, who were some of the the ones that you looked to for inspiration or who you think have kind of influenced your particular writing style?
1: Well, I'm sorry to say, um, and this is maybe a little bit like my Where uh, I didn't pay enough attention to who was writing stuff that I was reading, especially back then, which is a pretty big sin as a as a writer. Um, But you know, a lot of the early X Men stuff, or I'm sorry, the '90s X Men stuff, and some of the '80s, because when I first discovered X Men, one of the greatest things about it was that there were a million back issues to read. Right, so I just started going Mm -hmm. hunting. So a lot of the Claremont stuff really influenced me, Um, and I think Fabian. I did a lot of the 90s X-Men stuff that I love. Mark Wade did some of that stuff that I loved. Um, and then if you sort of get a little further along. I think Brian Michael Bendis, what he did with Alias. And then even when he, you know, like Avengers weren't characters that I was super into as a kid because I was into the X-Men stuff. And they just seemed like a whole other family that like, man, that was going to be a lot to get into. And so I never got that into them. And then because I was, a, and this is always a great thing with following writers, right? It can lead you to projects that you had no idea you would like. I think I started really reading Avengers in Earth when he was writing it and I loved it. I loved it because it had all that snappy, funny dialogue, Spider-Man being hilarious. Like, you know, I loved it. And so then that led me to a lot of other Avengers stories, past and future. Um, I think so. I think Bendis was completely instrumental. I think he's got a great handle on dialogue, uh, which is something I sort of strive for as well. Um, So he's probably he's probably one of the one of the top of the pack that's especially people who are still working today. I do think Tom King has a style I really like. I've loved pretty much everything he's done. Uh, everything he's done, his vision, his um, his uh, is it Mr. Miracle? Why am I so tired? Um, and uh, the the new strange adventures that he's doing. I like it's all. I just I just really like where I like the point of view that he comes from, and and sort of how he executes it. And he's very smart to work with really talented artists, which always helps.
2: Speaking of artists, who's been uh, your favorite or or maybe top three favorite artists that you've worked with so far?
1: That's always tough because it's like choosing children, Um, but I will never be over Leo Romero on Hawkeye. Uh, I thought he just did the really incredible, incredible work. I would work with him forever. Um, I think Ben Caldwell on A-Force was so fun. So fun. He'll give you a heart attack on the deadlines, but uh, he's, he's just got so much life and energy and like a different way of looking at things than so many artists that I see out there. And um, gosh, I really love working with Carmen Canero and Lee Jarbe on Captain Marvel. But I do have to give credit, especially for Purple Daughter, to Mattia. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if I could have done it without Mattia. You know, especially on Purple Daughter, where we were really pulling back on the tech. You know, I had this very sort of come to Jesus conversation with him about, listen, she's gonna be really going through it, and I can't just cover it all up with words. Like, I really need to know you can bring this emotion and that we can really land this. And I was like, I know you can do it, but I don't think we should try this story if you feel unsure about it. And he he was like, "Nope, I can do it." And man, did he deliver! The emotion that he gets in those pages is absolutely incredible. Okay,
3: um, who would you bring back as a character? Like, so, so if you if you could write a character, let's say of, of of the entire pantheon of Marvel characters, if there's some characters out there that's not getting love, or a character that you would just love to dive into.
1: <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say, "Who would I bring back to the, from the dead?" And I was like, "Aren't they all back? Like, isn't it?" Ever- <laughs> everyone. Exactly. Except
0: a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uncle Ben, he is, he is Uncle like
1: the single holdout, huh? Um, well, I've already been doing this a little bit, so maybe it's a cheat, but Elsa Bloodstone is, I feel like a great character that's completely underused. And so I threw her into my Jessica Jones and that was a big fight to get her in there because, you know, my editor who I love, Alana, she was like, oh, why don't we, I don't really see Elsa Bloodstone fitting in Jessica's world. And I was like, that's why it's interesting. That's why we're going to do it. Like, They don't fit together. I want to see what does Elsa look like in Jessica's world and what does Elsa's world look like to Jessica? Like, let's do it. And it was so great. They're fighting sea monsters in the Hudson River. I love it. It was amazing. So then um, because of the monster tie, you know, she's the monster hunter. So we ended up bringing her into Deadpool and... I can't wait for issue five to come out, which I think is on early June on the schedule because that's got some real game change stuff for Deadpool and Elsa. And I hope people like it. I think it's uh, I think it's pretty exciting stuff and she's a character that deserves everything. So try and get her in there. Oh, I also wrote her in A Force. <laughs> okay. Um, I've been I've been trying for years. <laughs> Maybe it's my backdoor way to get a next wave book off the ground.
3: <laughs> I, I, Elsa's getting a little bit of love. I mean, she okay because I'm I'm one of those people I love uh, Marvel uh, Strike Force and Elsa Bloodstone <clears and throat> is a uh, pretty powerful character in that uh, uh, in the game.
1: Oh, oh, in the game, I was like, yeah, I was like is she in Teeny's book? I missed that. No. I got oh. you. Yeah. Yeah. In the game. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. I can't play those oh, yeah, games right. or I don't get it.
3: I <laughs> oh, that's right. Cause I reached strike force too. I didn't even think that that would be. Yeah.
1: Uh, sometimes uh, people show me cool things from the game online and I'm like, that's great. Stop showing it to me. Cause I can't go over there. Like I'll never come back. <laughs> no more comics will be written. No. Speaking. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Dar.
0: Speaking of bringing people in, you don't expect, I just got three words for you. Millie, the model. <laughs>
1: How? How to bring her in? I don't yeah. know. In an MJ book maybe? I don't know. I don't know. So I I never I don't really have any connect to her. Sorry. Feel yeah. like <laughs> yeah. let you down. That's okay. <laughs>
2: How excited were you to get the call to say, hey, you're going to be doing some in-between story work for Captain Phasma to tell what happens between Force Awakens and Last Jedi?
1: Oh my God, I was so excited, but I was also terrified because I thought that's going to be a nightmare. Like, they're going to have so many notes, They're going to be so restrictive. It's going to be awful. I was so worried. Uh, And then we got Mark Chichetto on, and... I was like, he's incredible. This can't fail. If I can just not fail myself, we'll be okay. And honestly, they were great. They were so, considering there were huge movies on either side of the book, they were so open to stuff. Um, We coordinated a little bit with um, uh, Delia Dawson was writing the novel. And so she was exploring a lot of the backstory. They didn't want the comic to be about that, but they were fine for us to sort of draw on that for the character. Because, I mean, there wasn't that much fleshed out about the character. Like, they had a lot of notes about who she was, but it wasn't stuff we'd really seen on screen, you know? So there was a lot. They gave us so much freedom. Um, <clears throat> I think there were there were two things that happened, which one is, and I knew this going in, but um, Marco apparently did not know it because it came as a big shock to him. But they were like, she can't take the helmet off. And we can't have internal narration. Like, we don't want to be in her head. And I was like, how the hell are we going to do this? If we can't see her face and we can't be in her head, how are we going to wring any emotion out of this? And um, it was tough. But I think we introduced this character, Pilot, to use as a, something for her to bounce off of so that we could get, so that we could force her to talk a little bit. Cause she's not only, she's not only a character who we're now not allowed to be in her head, but she's laconic. Like she doesn't explain herself to anyone. Right. right? So right. it's really tough. Like, how, how are you going to draw her out of that and make her talk to someone? Well, you've got to sort of put her back against the wall and not give her a choice. And so that's what we did with Pilot, um, the character that be- became called Pilot. Right. And uh, and so, yeah, I think the other thing was I wanted to start the book in the garbage chute, And I wanted to do a sort of new take riff on escape from the garbage Chute, And I wanted her to do it in like a really violent, brutal way, totally unlike the way our three heroes first when we first have that great scene so many years ago, uh, but they didn't want it. They were like, no, it's too referential, which is weird. Cause, cause let's be real. Those movies love to reference themselves, but apparently that was uh that was a line too far. <laughs> so <laughs> they, so we ended up just having her just busting out of it on like page one and just like getting right into it. So you don't really know how that happened, but I really liked that scene where she was breaking out and I'm bummed. We didn't get to do that. But other than that, I mean, they honestly just really got out of our way and let us do our thing. Yeah. And we had a great, time were were
2: you kind of shocked to hear that your timeline for this uh, was just like a matter of days instead of like potentially you know stretched over a couple weeks or a couple months
1: what do you mean couple oh oh for how long it could cover yeah um no they well they weren't specific about that at the time they were they didn't say it's only been x amount of time between this and this they were like we, we've kept it vague and we don't say when she got hooked back up with with the Empire. So it was pretty free about how long it had to take or how short it should be. You know, uh-huh. they were really open. They were honestly really so fantastic about it. We didn't get a lot of notes. It was great.
2: Excellent.
1: To that And, point- and it was one of the most perfectly scheduled books I've ever seen in my life because they got it started. They got us started in like, like the January of that year or something. And that book came out exactly on schedule. Schedule in the fall. I think it was a double ship. And then the trade was out right before the holidays in the movie. I mean, it was perfect. Uh, I was very impressed by that, which I, was partially Marvel, but also, you know, Lucasfilm as well. So
2: I think they may have learned their lesson from the most expensive free comic book day book <laughs> there was. And that's the C3PO <laughs> one shot. That was four on slate. <laughs>
1: Oh no, that's terrible. It should
2: have oh, just been it should have just been turned into a free comic book day offering <laughs> at that point in time.
1: Oh
0: wow. So since you kinda kinda opened the door to that, uh, on the, the timeline comments, what's been the weirdest deadline, uh, for lack of a better word, or situation you have found yourself in as a writer to where you're kinda like, I gotta do this by <laughs> this?
1: Um, probably the worst one I was ever in was when Brendan Fletcher and I were writing Power Rangers Pink for very lovely people at Boom and also The who had a lot of thought and we were getting just this insane number of notes and because Brendan and I were writing together it was like every draft was sort of two drafts cuz like I'd do a draft and then he'd do a pass on it so like I think we were turning in something that said like draft 8 so it had already been through way more passes cuz I don't do four drafts now so. So between the two of us, we had this eight drafts thing and the notes we got back on like draft eight were so many, I I couldn't even count them. It was so many notes and they were like, Hey, can you guys turn this around for tomorrow? And I was like, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, that's not going to happen. I don't know. (laughs) Unless you have a time machine. No, um, that, so that wasn't it wasn't going the best. And um, I, I really like a lot of that book, including um, Daniel Di Uh It did a really incredible job and Tini came in and picked it up. She wrote the back half. Um, off of Brendan's and my um, story breakdowns or whatever. Um, and she did a great job. But yeah, that was one of the toughest for sure.
2: See, n- now you can say, sure, I could do tomorrow since it's a year away. <laughs> yeah, right.
3: <laughs> uh, and I have to say, I, I'm a huge Power Ranger fan. I read that uh, series, uh, the mini series, rather, and so good. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. That, that was so good, by the way. I was, yeah. Thank you.
1: So. Teeny deserves most of the credit. I mean, Brendan and I just, to the first two issues. And, and I mean, I guess, you know, we broke the story and we plotted it all out, but I'm sure she had to do a lot of fixing on the other side of that. Um, and and Danielli deserves a credit as well. Like they, they did a great job.
2: Going back to Star Wars real, real quick, if there was a character that you could do, whether it's existing storyline like Vader or Afra or or any of those characters, or a character who's been in the background that you want to bring to foreground. Who would you do?
1: Well, there's probably a lot of great answers for characters that deserve a story, but I'd be lying if I said anything other than I want to do a Han and Leia romance comic. Like I want to do a, a Gambit and Rogue, Han and Leia. Like why doesn't that exist? I pitched mm-hmm. it and. They said no, because Lucasfilm, I think it was when they were developing Solo. And so it wasn't the kind of thing they wanted at that time. Um, But maybe I'll try again when I've got a little time. Uh, Maybe they'd be more open to it now. I I just, where's that story? Like, everyone wants to see, like, a side adventure of Han and Leia, like, at a time when they have that incredible chemistry of, like, they love each other and they hate each other. Like, where's that story?
2: Could could we potentially go almost a 12-issue arc? And you you You,
1: do... Totally could.
2: And you do tie in a little bit of her training with Luke?
1: Maybe, maybe. I mean, I'd be inclined to keep it more of like the kind of missions they were running. I mean, you've only got two places in time you can place it, right? You can place it as to what were the shenanigans that got them into trouble between the end of New Hope and the beginning of Empire when they're standing in that hall and they're yelling at each other and there's clearly some things have happened in that relationship since you left them off. So what's the story? What's the crazy adventure between those two movies? And then you've also got a pocket where you can do stuff after Jedi. The after Jedi stuff, I mean, I'd totally be into either, but the after Jedi stuff has a disadvantage of they're sort of coupled up at that point. I mean, listen, I could still write a thousand issues about it, but I also think there's a really fun ground to mine in that between Empire and uh, New Hope. because Absolutely. like <laughs> so much has happened to those people yelling at each other in a hallway. Uh, since she put placed that medal around his neck, like where's that story? Please let me see that <laughs> that smuggler's adventure where she's like, this is not what I was promised. Like I, I love it. I want it so bad.
2: Here we go. A nine issue art <laughs> starts off with her going, I'm pregnant. Oh, <laughs> ends with the birth of Kylo Ren or I Ben mean, Solo.
1: That's a definite story that some people want to do, and I wouldn't turn that down if I was handed that story. But I'm more inclined to the less canon tied? Like what are the secret little delicious stories between the cracks that will fit canon canon i can't say that word today uh that will fit in the canon but that are really off on their own which don't have to be too tied to anything like as long as you make it like these two people could have this conversation in empire and it would make sense then you can do whatever you want like i love that
0: just out of curiosity did you ever read the marvel the star wars comic strips that were in the newspaper i did
1: not i mean maybe here or
0: there but no not really that was the time frame that they ran them was between you hope and empire strikes yep. back as a matter oh. of fact matter of fact it ends with dark with darth vader saying you know you know the time has come Skywalker." Empire Strikes Back, and that was it.
1: Oh wow! So what were they? Were they great? Were they terrible? What were they were about? Uh, there was they were, were kind of all over the place.
0: Uh, they, <laughs> there were some stories that were really
2: good. Some yeah. stories that, um, well, not so much. Yeah. ID IDW has published them. Uh, it's a three 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 volume series. I've got volume. Oh, really? one. I have volume one.
1: Well, maybe I'll check those out. That's interesting.
2: I need to get, uh, but they may they may be on Marvel Unlimited as well. Because I because I know Dark Horse released them at one time too.
0: If you want to talk about stuff that screws with the canon, yeah, that did. That right. was before they had anything of, oh, this is canon, that is not.
1: Right.
2: Uh, you right. know, this is, this trumps that, and that
0: still trumps, you know, this over
2: well, here. And, and that was during a time period too where the Marvel books, something would be, take place right before you're heading into Empire Strikes Back and you got two different stories going on depending on whether it was Marvel or the comic strips.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
2: So, It's like the two, the two weren't talking to each other at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, it's such a vast universe to try to reconcile all the stories within that. It's pretty crazy. I mean, that that anyone even attempts to like say that with a straight face is crazy, right? Like, oh yeah, this is all in and this is all out. Like, how hard to quantify? I mean, how many novels came out over the years? Like hundreds.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I mean, I don't, I don't, I never really read them. That's not really my thing. But um, I'm sure some of them were brilliant. And people were fanatical about them. Uh, so it's it's just, I don't know, it's just crazy to have your world uh, expanded in such a way. It's, it's sort of fascinating to me. And also that it's this blessing and curse, right? Like, it's an incredible blessing that people love your thing so much that they all want to contribute to it and have it and do all this stuff. But it's also a curse in that you lose control of it very quickly, right?
3: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, because, you know. It, there are some people that I, I, there are certain things I, lo- I I read some of the novels, not all of them, but because I kind of I would pick and choose what I would know it was into. And there were some aspects of the expanded universe that I, I just absolutely love. And, and you know things I would wish I would love to see them incorporate now. And there are other things that like. I, especially as I started reading some of the later stuff, it it just kind of got, there were points where the universe became foreign to me Mm -hmm. and I just kind of had to, I don't know, kind of realize I will tell myself to just be okay enjoy enjoying my little corner.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: Even if even if it's canon or not. But I and think
1: that's that's a really great skill for fans of of media like comics, especially things that are continuing universes. Like I think that's a really great skill that not everybody has. It's learned behavior, right? To to appreciate what you're getting and love what you want to love and just be okay saying, that's not for me or I'm not going to deal with that stuff because I'm going to do this over here. I think we're really good at that as as fans, or, or we should be. But well, I mean, it's...
3: I mean, we're talking maybe we're looking at what uh, 80 years of Marvel. And yeah. there's no way that I can get into every aspect of it as much as I love Marvel. you know the yeah truth is I'm pretty much more into my corner of it, yeah, you know now, but
0: that's kind of the strength of having 80 years. There are all these corners that you
2: can you can camp out in and, mm-hmm. and have a good old time. Yeah. How exciting was it to be included in uh, the Marvel 1000?
1: It was super cool. It was super cool. I mean, you know, it's like one of those landmark things that t- it also just has allows you to have this moment of like I'm a part of this thing, like I'm a part of this time in in Marvel's history, and especially since I was a kid growing up reading Marvel comics, wanting that. You know, it's like it's a it's a good moment to like take for yourself and be like, yeah, I sort of made it. You know, I did it, and of course, I got to work with Pepe Larraz, maybe the best artist at all uh-huh. of comics right now.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> See that? Um, tell us a little bit about the fearless project when that came out
1: Well, so i was sort of brought in at that on the last at the last minute um which maybe is an insult but i'm going to prefer to think of it as like i was a fancy guest star and they brought me in with this shiny yay she's here uh, so I, I wasn't that involved in like the I think it's very cool I think it's an awesome directive um, I want to see more of that kind of stuff but they really just piloted me in like hey can you do three pages we'll let you work with Carmen and Tamara who are your your girls on uh, your ladies on Captain Marvel so you know it's impossible to turn down and then I had to convince Carmen into doing you know because the, the page the full page reveal of that three page story is all these sort of baby-fied superheroines um, like the the X-Men kids, the X-Kids, X-Babies, whatever you call them. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, Carmen, I have this really good idea. People are going to love it, but you're going to have to draw in like not your style. I know you can do it, but if you don't want to, tell me and I'll just come up with another idea. And she's like, no, no, I can do it. I can do it. And she just killed it. It's so cute. So many people want that. It's like a poster. And it was the cover for the variant. It was it was awesome. So fun. I would love to tell like the untold story of that three-page story. But, you know, I don't know, like eight people buy that book. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Uh, guys, any final questions? We're almost at that time. Are we? Yeah.
3: Time flies yeah. when we have fun. <laughs> I, I actually, I can, I can come up with about a thousand more questions, <laughs> but. I- I, I, you gotta know when to say when so yeah
0: yeah so you basically kelly kelly thank you for joining us this evening um,
3: yeah,
1: thanks for having me on i had a great time
2: where and can we're, people... we're all fans of your work and uh and so this was a blast for us
1: thank you it was um, a good time too
2: not only am i a fan i'm also an owner of a bunch of
1: you. <laughs> i appreciate <All> right.
2: that <laughs> uh where can people find you online
1: uh the best place is usually uh at 79 semifinalist, which is my twitter handle that's usually where i am on social media. I've also got a website, 1979
2: Okay. Well, again, thank you for coming on. You're welcome back anytime, especially if there's any new projects on pitch.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe in the fall when Black Widow comes out.
2: Ah, yeah. awesome. Thanks awesome.
1: so much, guys. I had our a great pleasure. time. It was our well, thank pleasure. You. Take care.
2: You too. Bye
1: bye.
2: Bye. so just to wrap it up um any final thoughts from you guys no no no, no. i, what a I great couldn't interview. even take questions for kelly because y'all were thinking of the good ones before i did what a great i should have known it was her doing west coast avengers but because uh, her, her writing style is very unique and it's very fun writing style
3: right yeah so
2: um well since there's no final thoughts i just want to say thanks for everyone for or thanks to everyone for listening uh we Appreciate it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, contact us at Marvel Geeks on Twitter at Mighty Marvel Geeks on. Um, instagram and on Facebook or just email us at mmg at mightymarvelgeeks.net um and hey hopefully next week we'll be making a, a major announcement as well before we have uh like Ethan next week no Ethan's next week I don't, don't uh, either Charles. is it's Charles soul next week
3: yeah Charles next week man
2: oh there you go. someone someone eric and I have been trying to get for three years <laughs> <laughs> yeah so can't wait for that um so yeah thank thanks again for everyone for listening um we appreciate you uh check us out if you don't already every saturday night on sorcerer radio and every sunday or monday as we drop the show as a podcast on the weeby geeks podcast collective and mighty marvel geeks dot um so i now i can't make this announcement zoe and i are starting our own podcast Really? Yep. Good job. Title of the show: Adventures in Geek. That should explain the picture I sent you guys yesterday. Uh, I I was wondering. That's gonna that's gonna be the show Zoe and I are doing. Okay. A journey, an adventure of father and daughter exploring our fans. I I think uh, it's it's gonna be fun. Oh yeah. It's, it's going to be fun. So, um, so yeah. So look for that coming soon. Um, but again, this is Mighty Marvel Geeks. Check us out um, everywhere. Follow our homepage. Check out our affiliates. Check out uh, Biddy Boomers, where you get 15% off your purchase. 15% off. And these guys will now tell you as well, since they have theirs. Mm-hmm. These things are awesome. They will blow you out. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, they will. And uh, also to check out our homepage, check out our web store. I'll well, check out our web store on the home as well. So and then check out our affiliates until next time, uh, Thursday, if you would, please.
0: All wrapped up here, sir. Will there be anything else?
2: Nope. It's time to go dark.